Chapter 6 of The Radio Beasts This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Daryl Hansen The Radio Beasts by Ralph Milne Farley Chapter 6 Trapped Again with a heavy heart, almost despairing, Miles Cabot quit the courtyard and returned to the banquet hall, where he noticed a letter pinned to the side of the altar with a dagger. The dagger was encrusted with blood and bore the insignia of the family to which belonged Prince Yuri and Prince Toron. The note read, This is what did the deed. I came too late. Toron king of cupia he might have had the delicacy to have left off his title thought cabot why remind me that the baby's death has made toron the contender for the throne and yet miles was glad to be reminded of it if toron had succeeded in reaching the army alive the cupians still had time for a rallying point then a horrible suspicion began to insinuate itself into Cabot's brain. Yuri had assassinated Q the Twelfth to make himself king. Was this a family trait? Had Toron killed the infant Q the Thirteenth to the same end? This seemed more and more likely as Cabot's fevered brain dwelt upon the possibility. But if so, then what had become of Lilla? Dismissing these speculations, Miles prepared to journey on again. Luckily, his belongings in the castle had been but little disturbed, and so he was able to eat, shave, cut his hair, after a fashion, and fit himself out with a fresh toga. Also, he found a radio set, antenna, false wings, a revolver, and ammunition. These he wrapped in waterproof cloth, along with the toga and some food, and strapping the bundle to his back, swam stealthily to the north shore of the lake, it still being pitch-black night. Upon landing, he donned his apparatus and crept up the bank and through the bushes at its top. Now at last he had the advantage of being able to hear both the movement and the radiated speech of his enemies whereas they could only hear radiated sounds, of which he was not making any. Thus, he easily eluded the noisy sentinels who were patrolling the lake, and soon was far into the depths of the woods. But there he stopped. To go on would undoubtedly mean traveling in a circle. It was safer where he was. So crawling into the heart of a tartan bush, he gave himself up to much-needed sleep. A crash and a roar awakened him. It was broad daylight. How long he had slept could not be known, for all hours of the day are the same on Poros, save only early morning and late evening. Again the crash and the roar. Airships must be bombing the castle, in which event all attention of the Antmen was probably centered on the island in the lake. And now was the psychological time for an escape. Furthermore, by keeping the noise of the explosions always behind him, 
Cabot could be sure of traveling ever northward without danger of circling. So northward he pressed on, through the dense woods. But his certainty that the foreman's attention was directed to the lake proved to be his undoing, for he had scarcely gone half a stad before he stumbled almost into the arms of an ant-man. It is hard to say which of them was the more surprised. Cabot fired first, but missed. Then the foreman fired and missed. Then both of them retreated precipitately. Soon Miles heard his enemy radiating loudly for help. Other ants must have been much nearer to him than the lake, for the SOS was promptly answered. And now there was impressed upon the Earthman one serious difference between his artificial radio organs and the natural ones of the natives of this planet. Formians and Cupians can not only vary the capacity of their antenna for tuning purposes by waving them around, but also by the same method can, to a certain extent, determine the direction from which the incoming waves are arriving. But Cabot's antenna although looking just like those of his people, were stationary. Being artificial, they were without control muscles at their base. He did his tuning in by means of a variable condenser and a variocoupler on his belt, and had no means for direction finding. So now he was unable to sense from which quarter came the radiations of the approaching enemy reinforcements. Taking a chance, however, he turned sharp to the right and struck out through the forest in an easterly direction. Overhead, the sky was beginning to darken, and there was every sign of impending rain. But Cabot did not mind this. What was a wetting compared with meeting the ant-men? He heard no further calls from his enemies, and began to wonder if they had not given up the pursuit. Accordingly, he turned northward again, or at least what he believed to be northward, for the bombing of Luno Castle had stopped, and there was no longer anything to guide him. Time and again he halted at the sight of some gnarled tree trunk, which more or less resembled a formian. He went slowly and cautiously, frequently stopping to listen and look about him, but not a sound nor a radiation did he hear, not a sign of life did he see. Reassured somewhat now, he was beginning to push on a little more boldly, when he was startled as he saw an ant-man standing motionless beside a tree not far ahead. There could be no mistake about it this time. There was no stump, nor was it a twisted branch. And, as if to convince him, just then the foreman changed its position slightly. It was holding a rifle, and was very evidently on guard, keeping a careful watch of the woods about it. Cabot had stopped short, just as soon as he had caught a glimpse of the ant-man, and a moment's observation convinced him that he himself had not yet been seen. So with great caution, he began to back away. If only he could gain the shelter of a tartan bush close at hand, he would be safe. Cabot could not remove his gaze from the foreman before him and though he kept moving away, every moment he was in an agony of fear lest the other should turn and look in his direction. Of course, Miles was armed. 
a shot from his revolver, would not be perceived by the antenna sense, which takes the place of hearing among the native inhabitants of Poros. But what he feared was that his enemy would radiate for help before the fatal bullet could do its work. Accordingly, it would pay to try to get away by stealth. He had taken several backward steps, and the Formian had not yet seen him. He was beginning to hope that he could withdraw in safety now. He could feel, rather than see, that he had almost gained the shelter he was seeking. When suddenly the Ant-Man turned about and looked straight at him, the Formian was not more than two peristads away, and for a moment his surprise was as great as that of Cabot had been. But it lasted only for an instant, and then he raised his rifle to his shoulder and fired. Quick as he was, however, Miles had been quicker, and the moment he saw the movement on the part of the foreman, he discharged his own revolver and then turned and bounded into the forest. He heard the other's bullet as it exploded in a tree near him, and also the loud radiations of the Ant-Man mingled with the explosion of his own bullet. Cabot ran now at full speed, caring little in which direction he went, intent on escape from the immediate danger which had confronted him. Running swiftly though he was, he was able to hear the call of the Formian answered. A radiation that seemed to be far away replied, and Cabot could not determine from which direction it came. He had no time, however, to stop and wait. His very life and the destinies of a planet might depend upon his speed. So he ran swiftly on. He was satisfied that he could outrun the Ant-Man, whom he had just encountered. If in truth that one was in any condition to run, after Cabot's pot shot at him. But the answer which had come to the SOS raised a new danger. Undoubtedly his enemies had not abandoned the pursuit, and as one of them had been stationed in the woods, others probably were likewise. Cabot ran for about five paraparths before he stopped. Satisfied by now that the foreman behind him could not overtake him, if indeed that foreman were still alive, it was time for Miles to note where he was and in what direction he was running. Fortunately, at that moment, he heard another explosion in the far distance to the right, presumably one more bomb dropped on Luno Castle. Accordingly, he turned sharp to the left and started on again. He had gone but a short distance, however, when his heart almost stood still. Right before him was a Formian. The woods seemed to Cabot to be full of Formians. The other had seen him too, but before the Ant-Man could shoot, Miles had dodged back among the trees and was fleeing in another direction. He could hear the calls and responses of many of his enemies. They were nearer now and seemed to be on every side of him. It was evident that they were stationed at intervals throughout the forest and were waiting patiently for him to appear. They must be familiar with the region and know just what they were doing. Cabot was afraid. His fear was not a physical fear for his own safety as such, but was born of a sober realization 
of what his life might mean to the safety and happiness of the Princess Lilla, and to the cause of King Toron. Cabot wanted to live to reach King Toron, and satisfy himself who had killed Baby Q. These thoughts were in the mind of the desperate man as he dodged in and out among the trees, and ran with all the speed which his sorely tired body could command. He did not know where to turn. The calls and replies of the ant-men seemed to rise on every side of him. But anything was better than standing still and waiting for them to approach. And so, in sheer desperation, he ran on and on. The shouts ceased presently, and the silence of the woods returned. Cabot was too well convinced that they had not abandoned the pursuit to trust to that, however. But suddenly he stopped. What was that? A puff of smoke was borne in on his face. Another and another followed, and as he looked back into the forest, he could see that clouds of smoke were beginning to appear. There was also an odor in the air, as of burning leaves. He knew the meaning of it at once, and his face became set. The ants had set fire to the woods and were trying to smoke or burn him out. So he turned quickly and ran like a hunted animal. Indeed, Cabot could recall how he himself, in his boyhood days on earth, had considered it great sport to smoke out some helpless woodchuck or fox. He had even done the same thing with wild math labs on Poros. Now he realized how these little creatures felt. But he did not waste any sympathy on himself in his present predicament. He was thinking more of his country than of himself. Meanwhile, he could see the smoke begin to pour in from other directions. Plainly, the Formians had set fire to the woods in many different spots, and doubtless were lying in wait for him to rush out between these places. They were planning either to force him out or burn him alive. The frantic man ran desperately now, starting one way and now another, only to be driven back each time by a cloud of smoke that would blow full in his face and convince him that escape was not to be found in that direction. Oh, if only the impending rain would come! Soon he could see the flames as well as the smoke. There was a roar which he could hear rising among the trees, for which the wind could not account. The air was becoming warmer, and broken, burning branches began to fly over the treetops. The smoke was blinding and choking him now, and met him full in the face, in whatever direction he turned. He must do something quickly if he would cheat the enemy of their triumph. End of chapter 6